Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. He has to go to Freshers Week. He yes. needs to go to Freshers Week yes. on his own. Yes. <laughs> not, like, not, not with his dad. His dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John Terry obviously had the armband. But Rio could have probably looked at that and thought that should probably be my <laughs> arm yeah, yeah, yeah. Saka's rise to prominence and quality has made it easier for Cole Palmer to take his England spot. Not only do you need to be on each other's level in terms of going for the Ballon d'Or, going for the titles, you need to be arch enemies in opposition teams. Seeing the, the career progression of Doku versus Xavi and Simmons is going to be very, very, Ooh. very interesting. Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira, Messi and Ronaldo, Gerard and Lampard, Matisse and Mayo. What do all these players, oh sorry, and people, have in common? None of them could escape each other during their careers <laughs> and were career rivals. But why don't we see as many as we used to? Are career rivals rivalries dying out? Does that stem from the England team having unity? Despite this, Messi and Ronaldo's 17-year battle is coming to an end, which could pave the way for a new era of battles to come through. But who are they? And how will these affect world football over the next few years? All will be revealed in this week's podcast of The Ripple Effect. All right, guys, welcome back. My name is James Alcott. This is my podcast. Uh, it's not just mine. It's Spotify's, of course, as well. And you can watch this right now exclusively on Spotify. I am joined once again by Matisse and Mayo, career rivals, both <laughs> Chelsea fans. We've just done a bumper podcast, uh, picking apart Chelsea and putting forward a set and forget team. Mm. Which were you happy with at the end of it? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, you can live with that for the next five years. <laughs> for a lot of them. Uh, make sure you go check out that podcast uh, if you haven't. And uh, of course, after this one, there should be loads of evergreen podcasts that you can enjoy. Um, but this one, yeah, we, me and Kai were talking about rivalries and who are going to be the next, you know, set of players that will kind of get stuck with each other. And this, I think this is quite a big thing in basketball. If you think of it like, you know, Larry Bird and um, I've gone blank now. Magic Johnson. John Johnson, yeah. Um, and let's say Jordan and the entire... Like, <laughs> the whole association. Yeah, everybody. Charles Barkley, maybe, kind of, he got sort of stuck with him. <laughs> there are a lot of those. And we sort of, we put it out on Twitter. And we got some great ones from, from you guys as well, which we can run through uh, a few. But yeah, we just want to talk about the ones from the past, but also ones moving forward for the future. So here's a few from that tweet that I put out asking you guys for yours. Uh, this is a... I can't even say his name. Quillette, maybe. Um, Alfie Harland and Roy Keane. Messi and Ronaldo, obviously. In a twist, Lee Boyer will be forever attached to two teammates for separate incidents. Kieran Dyer <laughs> and Jonathan Woodgate, which is true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Lee Boyer, yeah, can't get away from that one. Here's an interesting one. I didn't know this was a thing, but actually I've been asked this a few times recently. Salah and Hazard. 
As two Chelsea fans, have you had to like, deal with this debate? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Especially the other day with Hazard's retirement. It's kind of like, look at where he's retired. Look what Salah's done. Salah surpassed him. Salah has a great Premier League. It's like, just let two legends coexist. Like, yeah. we don't have to go like for like. Mm. But it, it's definitely a thing. It's right. definitely a thing. That sounds like the description from a man who knows that it's Salah and it's not Hazard. Right? <laughs> I'm back in Hazard. Are you still back in Hazard? Dead. Yes. <laughs> How are you framing that? I'm framing it as the hazards, hazards. The no, I'm not even doing that. I'm, start, I'm starting. You don't it. know, man. Hazard started <laughs> there, as a man. teenager at Lille, dragging him to a league untitled before Salah was even really kicking up a storm. I think Salah maybe mid twenties really came into his own Rome, back end of his Italy Serie A stint. Are they and same Liverpool. age? No, because no? Hazard, Hazard's forty two. Yeah, and Salah's, Salah's 30, 31, Yeah, one? So similar age. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. like one started a lot earlier tailed off and the other one started a bit later it's going to end as a little bit more longevity on the on the okay. yeah I mean Salah <laughs> <laughs> um, he hates Chelsea keep your sneak out sorry um, Andy Martin said uh, that's at FPL tactician he said Noel Quinn and Kevin Phillips that's a great that's true. one quality yeah. Kevin, Kevin Phillips and promotion slash sort of championship yeah championship yeah. promotion <laughs> seems to always get that one uh, Vidic and Torres Yes. They kind of dodge. Nice. Yeah, they kind of sort of followed each other. And this was the thing I was kind of thinking about when we were kind of going down this thread because you've got Messi and Ronaldo, who we will definitely get to. But I kind of wanted it. What, there's different ways of having those kind of career rivalries. Like some might be, you know, something like one incident. But then there might be some where like players kind of get in each other's way a little bit as well. And there could be some that where they'll both be in the same position. And there'll be somewhere they're not in the same position. Mm. It'll be a center, you know, Vidic and Torres is a good example of that, where, you know, having a, which center backs are going to, you know, going to have to deal with strikers time and time again. Mm. Um, we've got loads of really good ones. So the obvious one to start with, I think, is ha- uh, Haaland versus Mbappe. Because, yep. uh, you know, will this rivalry get better or worse if they both move to Real Madrid one day? Is that. How do you feel about Haaland and Mbappe? Where do you sit on like who's better today? I think for me as a player, you have to go Mbappe's better. Um, Haaland is an amazing goal scorer. Like he can do everything. He's just, it's undeniable. But what Mbappe does with his, his whole game, his catalogue, what he's done at the highest level, you can't take that away from him. He nearly up, he nearly did the biggest upset we've ever seen in football in that World Cup final. And that just speaks to the magnitude and fortitude of his mind and his ability. Um, With the Real Madrid question, it's so interesting because Madrid are in this weird place where they had Galactico period and then they've kind of gone to young player period now, which is great to see. You've got your Benhams, your Shumanis and whatnot. I'm sure some of those guys will speak about eventually. But if both of these players end up going to Madrid, (laughs) it's going to be the Galactico thing all over again. And it's going to be the question of whose team is this? Mm. And I feel like that will make great TV. Do you, yeah, sure. <laughs> do, you, do you think... But I don't think it's Does it have to be one person's team? I mean, the Neymar Messi thing, that's that's something that you could attribute to it because it was Messi's team. Yeah. But also people would suggest that Neymar made a bad decision by leaving. I, the Barcelona stint, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, the fact that he moved away because it wasn't his team. That so, front three yeah. was just frightening. Yeah, but sure. I think the, the thing is with Mbappe and Haaland is that Mbappe, I agree with you, is the better player. But Haaland also, as a character, isn't like Mbappe. Mbappe. So Mbappe has this different aura about him where sporting director, you know, always looking like he's going to leave PSG and he basically runs that institution. He has the president of France on his phone, you know, calling him up, trying to keep him. Whatever it is, 
That doesn't happen with Harlan. Harlan is a daddy's you know, boy. Is a daddy's boy. I don't know. Eats, you know, I think it's I think it's the city um, sort of framing that makes it look like that. Because paint the picture. They both go to Madrid. They're both massive, massive, massive Nike superstars with their own boots and whatnot. You're, they're battling for not just pitch space. They're battling for like who's a law. But and do you think Harlan really cares about I that? Hundred so percent. Not only do I think I don't think he cares as much as Mbappe, but I also think he's not capable of running a team like Mbappe can. So with Messi and Ronaldo, this would have been a fair discussion because I think they're both capable of running a game. They can do so many things. They can take players on. They can score from long range. The catalogue of what they can do: overhead kicks, you know, headers, whatever. It's it's like wow, what is this? And it's both opposite flanks. Who are we directing our play through? Mm. Harlan is a penalty box striker. That's what he does. He stays in there. He relies upon service. He needs Mbappe to give him that service. Therefore, that puts the power with Mbappe. I'll ask you this question: What happens? They're both playing against Girona. It is their first game. They've had the grand unveiling and everything. I don't know. Jude Benham goes through and goal. He gets fouled penalty. in the box. Penalty. What happens next? Mbappe takes. Without a shadow of a doubt, do and then what penalty. do you what do you think the 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 best centre forward in world football? What do you think happens to his feeling in that moment? It's gonna be a car That's crash. Right. It's gonna That's be a so car good. crash. It's gonna be a car crash. So okay, but but someone has to take it. So I guess firstly, you could have something in place where like one person or has it one week, the next person has it. You can't week. do that for mega stars. It it can it cannot work. And then also as well. Benham's not even in this conversation, but what happens to him? And so like, it's been my team. I've had this moment and I've got Mbappe. And yeah. It yeah. gets really... But so it, the Galacticos ended up disintegrating. Not, not winning what they should yeah. have, right? We saw that Beckham documentary. Yeah. yeah. Those, those... But so I guess with that, if if they do... I mean, firstly, will Haaland definitely go to Real Madrid? I don't think so. I don't think it's a guarantee. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's boring. So let's, so, let's keep... Let's stay in this world. Let's stay in this world. I have something, you know... Spotify, great organization, and you know, Super. with all of the stuff they're doing, mm. it's not beyond me that the funds Come to on. fund the Haaland. I see you again. It, it could yeah. happen. Yeah, Haaland, Barcelona, you know, mm. Mm. that's what I'm talking about, and that makes the rivalry better because now you're arch enemies, and I think yes. that's what's needed that's for what a rivalry. Yeah. Not only do you need to be on each other's level in terms of going for the Ballon d'Or, going for the titles, you need to be arch enemies in opposition teams. You look at, you spoke about Vieira and, and, and Roy Keane, you speak about Gerard and Lampard. This worked because they were arch enemies at club level. Yeah. If they were in the same team, it would be wrong. That's <laughs> that's so true in the, the sense that we are waiting on who is truly the next Barcelona guy, right? Yeah. So in terms of what Haaland and Mbappe need, because I was going to kind of ask a similar question for the penalty analogy. When it comes to like being him, being the guy, mm. more so than ever, you need the stats. You yeah. really, really need the stats these days. And that's the problem with the penalty, right? Yeah. Because like, I would Mbappe, if you suggested that, like, look, this is your team, Mbappe, because I think you're right in the sense that Haaland can fix a situation by scoring goals. Mm. But, you know, you need to get the ball up the pitch and do all those things. I think Mbappe can literally take a game, as we've seen, um, and fix it. Yeah. I don't think Haaland can do that mm. on his own. So Haaland needs the, the goals. But then again, in terms of what you need, and you can chuck Bellingham in the mix here as well, out of those three, but I guess more so that rivalry that we're talking about, what's more important for those two, to win or to be him? <sighs> for Haaland, I'll say to win. For Mbappe, I'll say to be him. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Mbapp- M- Is that fair? In- Is that unfair? No. I don't think it's unfair. I think ultimately, <laughs> if you look at Mbappe's... Korea like trajectory it's been sort of the we don't know what's going to happen to football 
after Messi and Ronaldo. You are our last hope. We need you to take over this PSG team. We need you to almost beat Messi. We need you to have all of these moments. We need you to dominate the World Cup at a young age. So therefore, he's chasing the shadows of those that have gone before him, whereas Haaland is... I don't want to say he's trying to be like the Lewandowski's and whatnot, because he's beyond that in terms of what he's score scoring. But he's framing in this conversation is a little bit different. Yeah. But I think when you then put him next to Mbappe, he then realises, well, I want in on this as well, ultimately. I, I, I think in the previous era that we had, Haaland doesn't even get into this conversation of world's greatest. Like it's only now because we're going through a time of uncertainty where we don't know who the next leader is. We spoke about Bellingham. Could he win a Ballon d'Or? Mbappe, Vinicius. You know, there's so many players. Who is he in a previous generation? He is the just a striker. <laughs> That's it. He's just a striker who bangs in goals and he's not Suarez anymore. Not even Suarez because Suarez, Suarez is a, a, better, he a can much fix better it. footballer. Yeah. yeah. But do you know why he is the Lewandowski, right? Yeah. Because they both should have had a Ballon d'Or. Nice. Nice. Really good. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> Very happy with this. Yeah, next week. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, great work. Uh, okay. In the fullness of time, because I think this is worth chucking in there as well. Let's put ourselves on the chopping block. In the fullness of time, who will have the who will have the better career? Who will be known as the better player? And it's a sort of mix of both, isn't it? Mm. Um, Haaland or Mbappe? I think Mbappe will have the better legacy and career. I think ultimately it's just a law it's already he has a head start based on where he is at the moment right now do you, do you know what the, the killer for Haaland is is, is international yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think also not all goals are equal when we talk about this this yes. next level Great of show. setting up legacy and, and memorable moments because no one's remembering a tap in or a penalty as much as they're remembering a, 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 a volley against Argentina in the World Cup like once you get to this conversation, there is truly levels to this game. And it's about not just scoring, but doing it in the most emphatic, dramatic way possible. And Mbappe is more capable of doing that because he yeah. has the variety to his goals. So what, what you're speaking to is feeling. Yeah. Mbappe makes you, for feel. whatever reason, feel something. We all felt that World Cup. Harlan, it's very <laughs> comprehensive. Like you are a contract killer <laughs> and you're doing He's your Shaq, job. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. We've said that, Like I think it was Cam who said it first on, on this podcast. Like he is, up, he's just so dominant. And that will be, but Shaquille O'Neal, I think Kweku actually, I think sort of um, carried on with this thought and he spoke about, I think Shaquille O'Neal only won like the MVP like once, hmm. despite all the rings that he had, hmm. because it was like, it feels like a tap in and he's, he's, just, he's when you're enormous. He's and you a just computer. Pop it down. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's what's going to kind of hurt Harlem, but also the international um, element of it is a, is a big one as well. Hmm. Let's uh, stay with Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham. Now on our th- Second or third podcast, we had Will Brazier on it and we mapped out Jude Bellingham's next 15 years of his career. Um, and it, it looked good from an England fan's uh, perspective. Uh, but we then, this was probably 20 podcasts later, in that England Under 21 uh, podcast that I was talking about in the last podcast that we did, we had uh, Joe from Scouted Football magazine, which is a beautiful magazine. And he was, we were saying, who's the guy that's going to kind of rival him? And this was before this season. He said, uh, Warren Zaire Emery is the guy that's on his way. Mm. And we've kind of seen it with the Champions League performances and just, you know, the fact that he's so young and looks so good and they're basically not playing a midfield because he'll sort it out. I mean, it didn't work against Newcastle, but you can still see that he's an amazing player. And so those two are going to be alongside each other for a very long time. Mm. So the ripple effect from this rivalry 
is that the French national team's existence could ruin Bellingham's legacy. I know. Of course, both of these players are at top clubs already, Real Madrid and PSG, but it's on the international stage in which this rivalry could really flourish. With how things are going at the uh, at the moment, it looks like England and France will have the best group of players over the next eight or so years, which means Emery and Bellingham comparisons will be inevitable. If Emery reaches his potential and becomes what we think he can be, he could be France's new Zidane and win France trophies single-handedly like Zidane almost did on multiple occasions. If he does this, it could be likely to be at the expense of Jude Bellingham. This would also result in Emery winning a Ballon d'Or most uh, probably as well in those same years because it does carry weight. And of course, this works the other way around as well. But France's serial winners who surround Emery could be the difference. How do you feel about... Um, I've spoken about Jude Bellingham at length uh, on this podcast. I I just think he's outrageously good. My only fear with him is the amount of games of football that he plays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can he kind of sustain that? Can it be, you know, will he be all right to do that? But it does feel like there is a new crop of incredibly complete midfielders out there and they're all going to be battling it out. But I think Bellingham is the star for England for the next 10 or so years. Yeah. And France look as strong as ever. Um, what are your thoughts on these two and the possible rivalry? Because it could come down. There could be some finals here between these two. Yeah, there, there, there easily could be. And I think ultimately, you look at PSG, you look at Real Madrid. The key thing is they're going to be so important to those clubs going forward. We know Madrid are going to get a new manager, but I think Bellingham already in his short time there within this sort of final third role has proven that I have to be pivotal in this moment. You can change your Modric and your Cruz and all these guys, but this bit going forward is me. Um, Warren... Emery Zaire is someone that's, you know, he is a Parisian through and through. They've been waiting for this moment to promote talent. Because if you think about all of the talent that PSG actually sell, yep. mm. they sell so much talent. And this is the one they were like, no, we cannot do it. <laughs> he must carry us forward. And I think he's going to restore a feeling for them. So I, I, there's huge stocks in both of them. But it is really interesting because, again, in this situation we always talk about, what is PSG winning a title compared to Madrid winning the title? There's small things that could play in each yeah. other's favour. Yeah. Bellingham, inevitably, if you're bold at this conversation, has to go against a Gavi and Pedri in Barcelona. Yeah. And how but, can that affect him winning trophies there, etc.? But a PSG Champions League is more emphatic and more ingrained into history than a Real Madrid Champions League. So yeah. that kind of maybe sways it back in Emery's yeah. in Emery's I, th- I think that the, the, we were at the game obviously and it, uh, Gavi kept um, Bellingham pretty quiet yeah. to a point until he decided to like Wake you know just, yeah <laughs> exactly just smash him in the top corner um, but, so but with Gavi there's a feeling that he's kind of not reached a ceiling but has he especially in a Barcelona team that is going to have 70% possession and, and, yeah. and tap it about is he going to have that same ability to run a game with that explosiveness that Bellingham can Pedri I think people, but you know, in terms of quality, Pedri's possibly better than than Gavi. Obviously, different, but he's struggling with those injuries. So you know, again, we're kind of asking who is going to be the Barcelona guy, or are they going to wilt into the distance? You know, uh, the the player I would throw in even above these two is Musiala, yeah, because I think him and obviously Bellingham's friendship. Obviously, yeah, it's great, great, and I love it. Shout. But the talent between those two and the journey that they're going on. You look at Germany, you know, they could same be... Same age, right? Same, same age. age. There could be a resurgence for Germany. You know, they've they've always had great teams over the... You know, I wouldn't rule out for the entirety of Musiala's career that Germany won't be a force on international stage. He's at Bayern Munich. They're both, you know, speaking on how proud they are to lead these giant 
absolute massive clubs at huge pressure um, and Musiala that, that moment that he had against Dortmund on the final day of last season where he basically won them the title yeah. that was a Bellingham moment it's chapter one on yeah, a yeah. much bigger stage but yeah. you know it, Bellingham was at the beginning of that journey mm. well, Bellingham I think obviously was at he Dortmund was injured for that yeah, one yeah he was injured on the bench yeah. and, and how so ironic was, is it that Musiala was the one that, that, yeah, that yeah. basically did that so I, I think for me that th- that three is probably even closer because mm. they have more of an opportunity to, I think, have those big moments and run the show for those clubs. Whereas what you're talking about with Gavi and Pedri is more of a, sh- you know, it's a two- share- sharing, sharing is caring kind yeah, of. Yeah, sharing is caring is funny. <laughs> but even, even with this being said, what's so funny is when you're looking from the, the sort of, if you're looking from the club, the international perspective, Bellingham is already stepping in into this main man thing. Mm. Whereas... um. Emery is playing support acts to Mbappe. And then, of course, Musiala is sort of coast there, half yeah, coast yeah. to Harry Kane and those guys. Yeah. So Bellingham has a sort of head start, but he's going to need help. Not for long, because Real Madrid always move in the market. They do. So he's, but in order to keep, he's going to need help. Yeah, 100%. It's only so far he can push this on. Uh, we saw that. But weekend. how mad is it if, <laughs> if, if Emery loses Mbappe to Bellingham? how that sways things because it's like <laughs> you're supposed to be helping me over here and now you're helping the opposition it's it's a really interesting one i think it out of out of those three though man i think bellingham just has that star of lord though man he does there's just something about his aura his that aura is shines incredible. through yeah and i think if he can remain as a player that plays in the final third we see it i think if you have a manager that comes in and says Bellingham, listen, I need to be more of like a central figure and everything. It takes away from what he does best. And I think the managers are going to play a key part in this. And that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, that, that's perfect for our next one. I think the one thing when you talk about the aura, for me, the word is he's got a snarl. Yeah. He has this like, he's a little bit irritated. And I, I think the best players in the world, I've, Chip I've on the shoulder. they're in a rush. Yeah. They're in a rush to be great. Mm. And and he is in a rush to like, and what what I like about Musiala and with uh, Zaya Emery as well, is that with Messi and Ronaldo, it was a World Cup every four years where that was the moment where Ronaldo and Messi could really, really kind of, um, you know, meet each other. Obviously, they did in El Clasico, but in terms of that top, top game, those international games have got a little bit, you know, something different. And you felt that with the Mbappe and Messi, Messi one because, it was, you know, it was the guy on his way and the guy, obviously, it's not leaving, but like it was his last chance or you felt like it was. Yeah. Um, but, but at international level, with all of those guys, that's going to be like every two years, they're going to be able to sort of come up against each other. And there's definitely, you would imagine there'll be a final between these two. Yeah. This is a slightly different one. And again, I think this, I can actually put in a couple of options here because, so we've got two here when it comes to right back. So first one that popped into my mind, just a little bit, a few years down the line, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Reese James. Of course. has definitely, there's been a lot of discussion over these two. And it's not been sort of, plain sailing throughout and I get like if you go back to Bellingham and those guys some of these guys are going to get injured some of these guys are going to fall out of form maybe a little bit but when you talk about managers and how important they they will be the right back position for England over the next 10 years is fascinating because you've got you've got Trent you've got Rhys James and then you've also got Tino Livramento and Rico Lewis now we were going to put these two as two separate ones, but I kind of feel like you could kind of put them all together a little bit because when you talk about the managers, obviously with Southgate, I think that makes life difficult for Trent, and that's what's hurt his England career. Yeah, and there's been they've kind of leaned towards Carl Walker because he's always available, and 
defensively better in and it helps the two centre-backs. But in time, Reese James, I think, is the most complete right-back when he's fit and firing. But Trent, with a different manager, the that side of the pitch, I guess, again, we spoke about this in the pod last week, uh, like, uh, earlier in the week, Reese James can go and be that centre midfielder as well. But Trent is, you know, is an incredible player. Mm. Um, but Rico Lewis is another one as well. Tino Livramento then becomes the only s- simple out-and-out fullback yeah. out of these four. Yeah. So out of Trent and Reese James, how do you feel about these two over the next 10 years? Because I guess the, the ripple effect for these two will come from whoever the next manager for England is, right? Mm. I think for me with Reese James and Trent, it's always dependent on, for me, first of all, Reese James being more complete, but then having those injury issues. So it balances it out even more. Now, Trent, I've actually been calling in the past for Trent to move into midfield because I do believe that his passing range, his shooting from distance, his crossing, he could have that progression. I think Gerard played as a right back earlier on in his career. Gareth Bell played as a fullback. Saka played as a fullback. There is room for growth if the right manager decides that's the moment for him. And I think for England, he has played in midfield as well, as as well as Reese James and Rico. And the positions Lewis. he's picking up for Liverpool he, time and time again now he may are, as well. are, are midfield. Yeah, <laughs> so, essentially. Yeah, so, yeah. But if, but if Reese James keeps getting injured, he may regress. And that's what you were speaking about earlier is that, you know, how many times can you continuously come back? We had Iron Robin in the early you know, 2000s who was picking up injuries. We didn't know if we was ever going to see the best of him. He managed to fix that in the back end of his career before Bayern Munich he was lethal. If Reese James doesn't do that and he keeps picking up these injuries, he will most likely regress and that will just push it more towards Trent. And with the other two that you said as well, I mean, Livermore's just come off a massive injury. Yep. He's recovered from Southampton, gone to Newcastle. And he is just, again, we knew it at Cobham. We produce incredible defenders. One thing we're good at. He is a talent as well. Like, I was gutted to see him leave. So... It, it there's a lot of competition there. You can't afford to be injured, and that's that's what goes against Reese. But I think I think there's room for two of them in the same eleven, out of the four hundred percent for England. At definitely, I've seen Trippier play left back. I Livermento could definitely play on that side as well, and I think you're definitely you could put one in midfield. Uh, I think with this to what you've just alluded to, mm. it'll be about can one of you play on the left hand side? If not, I think. Going back to the golden, we spoke about Lampard and Gerard, right? I think you have a situation where one of them becomes the Gareth Barry in this situation. And it's just sort of like, <laughs> I'm just here just in case. But because that, that's, that's the problem with international football, right? You have so much talent, but you only have 11 positions. With this though, it definitely depends on the manager and who the manager wants to play and who they want to play through. But I think it depends on how you set up your midfield as well. Like ultimately Trent and what he does is so dangerous. So, so, so dangerous. So why would you put him in centre mid and then you then have to mix him with a Bellingham and then someone else? You might lose something else there. Yeah. Whereas if I can have this position on the pitch where it's just fine there, then I'll do that. And you've got to cover for him. You've got to legis- cover for him elsewhere. For him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. But I, fi- I if, if I had to choose and say right now in this moment, I think that Trent probably... who Yeah, who will finish it. with more caps? I think Trent... But if it's a World Cup final... You're not going with Trent against Mbappe or someone like that of that ilk. That's the that's the trade-off. It, yeah. For me, it depends on how far do England get in tournaments as to how much do we see Trent. Because I think in the qualifiers, where England are expected to win, I don't think there's any question Trent plays because he's just that good. But I think if, if England go far in competitions and they play against proper teams where it's like the pressure is really on defensively, mm. that's where Trent could lose could lose out a little bit. So... I don't know. I, it's tough. It really is tough between so them. So tough. And so again, when it, when it comes to that manager, 
I don't think any of us know who that next England manager is. Like yeah. w- one name that was in my mind a little bit, which it would be a bit odd, but he's, I mean, he's sort of English, but he's definitely not English guys. If you're from Republic of Ireland, Lee Carsley, who's obviously done brilliantly for the under 21s. And I watched them the other uh, week. Was it nine nil or nine one? I think it was nine one. Yeah. And uh, Rico Lewis was just running it. Absolutely running it. So, and Lee Carsley's not afraid of, of that fluidity. A lot, he's a lot uh, more risk averse than uh, less risk averse, sorry, than than Gareth Southgate. So that could lead us to a world where you can have Trent in that midfield. Mm. Um, but again, the sort of ripple effect on these two, weirdly, they will be compared to each other. But it's it's other things around it. I think you're right. If you if you're in a World Cup final against France. Are you playing Trent against Mbappe? You're just not, are you? But, and but then, this is where it gets interesting. How many though? of those games in the qualifiers against like Montenegro and Kazakhstan? He plays a, and kills it. Versus yeah. a France masterclass in the World yeah. Cup final. But, You're like, <laughs> and then this is where it gets interesting though. Because we're speaking about we don't know who the manager is. I mean, on the previous episode, we spoke about managers sticking with their principles. If you get that sort of character in, that mean, might mean that a Trent constantly starts because this is how I want to play football. This is what I believe in. And ultimately, I will take that risk because of the benefit that I get from it and mm. reverse. But and- it will also be about, so say at the moment, the right side of centre-back is John Stones. And is John Stones, you know, does he have that recovery pace to just sort yeah. it out on that right side? Maybe, maybe he does, maybe he does. Well, maybe it's a, get, you need someone else to kind of go and fit into that position. I think John Stones can do that. And also, if you want someone to step in the midfield, is John Stones, you yeah. know, is John Stones the better option there? And then you play Reese James. Then if you look at the midfield... Declan Rice isn't going anywhere. Jude Bellingham's not going anywhere. So there's one spot left there, which you could use Trent for that and allow Declan Rice to be a bit more of an eight and let Bellingham be a bit more of a 10. So there, there is space for it, but it's kind of not down to him. No, no. There's, no there's no style of play Reese James can't play as well. Like he is an incredible footballer. If he wasn't, I think this would be a lot more definitive. Mm. If he was more of like a Wan-Bissaka profile, but he's just such a good footballer. There's a pass he even played against against Tottenham where he just outside the right boot just you know swang it straight yeah. over so swang it swang it <laughs> <laughs> I got what he meant I know exactly what he meant um, has Trent's defensive weaknesses made us think that Reese James is better than he is is that an unfair question I it think, can be you're allowed to not have it this is a rule we have I think what Trent's um, supposed lack of defensive quality has done is more so discredited him rather than push up Reese James. Yeah, because the, yeah. the whole thing was like, well, you can't compare him. You can't call him a right back if he's not defending. That's the whole sort of slander. Like, well, he's not having to do the defensive duty, so why are we giving him props? I don't think mm. it's taken anything away from Reese James in that mm. re- respect. Yeah, I think um, Reese James has his own battles. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> will Will Trent? Do you think Trent has it in him to get to a defensive level that is one where we're not picking it apart? I think we've seen him be able to defend. I think ultimately, if you look at the current setup he's in, he is allowed and enabled to play the way he plays because the system is built in turn around him. The question I'll ask is, if it wasn't like that and you just said, listen, this is what I need you to do, could he do it? I think he could. I think he is competent enough. He may not be this guy that's like a, you know, Tommy Asu or Wan-Bissaka pro for that's nipping at ankles and getting mm. the ball. But I think he's competent enough to know that I need to drop back, I need to hold up, wait for cover, and hold off a player. But would that take away from his game in terms of what he can give to the team if he well, was more focused on those defensive I teams? don't think so, because his game is being on the ball. Mm. So the ball is always going to get to him. It's not like he's running into like half spaces and then whipping in crosses. The ball ends up getting to him when they're in possession. It's just about when we're out of possession, 
don't think about being in centre mid. Just drop back into shape now. Yeah, I think in terms of style of play, you have a team like Liverpool, who are you know very aggressive, and that leaves spaces in behind. Um, and he's a playmaker. But there's in Newcastle, there's a team there that plays with high energy, and their right back is a playmaker for them. And Trippier very rarely gets kind of caught out. Mm. And is Trippier tall or outrageously fast or any of those things? Absolutely not. But his decision making is astounding. And that he's technically, you know, solid, but not to the level of, of Trent. Mm. So like, if I was Trent, I would just be like chewing Trippier's ear off all the time going like, where are the little moments where I can get myself out of trouble? Because I think there's, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like in, a, in a, the right kind of team, you should be able to have a little bit of everything. Because um, I do think there are times where, oh, he's out of position. Well, he's out of position because he was like, they were attacking a second ago. Like, so I think sometimes that's a little bit unfair, but it's a good problem to have if you're an England fan. Uh, sticking with England, Bukayo Saka versus Cole Palmer. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Saka's rise to prominence and quality has made it easier for Cole Palmer to take his England spot. Bukayo Saka's rise to prominence as a left-footed, pacey, multi-skilled right winger has meant that that specific profile is something that Southgate will always look to have in his teams. How long will Southgate be there, of course? It's still a question. This means that someone like Foden who's similar but not exactly the same, will find it more difficult to get in ahead of Saka. But it also means that the next best thing is arguably Cole Palmer, who's incredibly similar to Saka in his style. With Saka 22 and Cole Palmer 21, and both at London clubs, could they follow each other around for the length of their careers and they both even take penalties? Are we calling it now? Will there be an argument? In I, I guess you can't get both of them on the pitch, maybe. I, I had um, Palmer and Foden in that as well. You think Palmer and Foden as well, yeah? Just because they both come from the same academy yeah. and one's chosen to lead, lead. the birds wow. yeah. against Pep's will. Because yeah. I don't think Pep wanted You're good to at send this. him. You're and really then good at Foden this. stayed and be nurtured and there's a roof over his head and there's yeah. food and there's clothes and there's... And he's not <laughs> yet been given the keys. It was David Silva. Then it was, you're next. No, now it's Gundogan. Yeah. You can eat as much as you want, but you're not getting yeah. the keys. You're not getting right. the keys. Yeah. And Palmer's taken the keys at Chelsea. Yeah. And it's, you know, so I think all three of them they, there's so much pressure at international and club level to kind of reach these heights. And I think Saka's already kind of shown what he can do, but now it's can you perform in those latter stage of key games at the back end of a season and really finish off the job. The reason why this one is so funny to me is because I remember at the time where Foden got to 100 Premier League games, Saka got to 100 Premier League games as well. And the amount of minutes they'd played was completely contrasting. You could see Saka was thrown into it and you have to make it work. Yeah. And then you had a situation where Foden, like you said, he's been nurtured, you know, take all the wisdom, wax on, wax off, Mr. Miyagi, <laughs> like he's he's downloading all the data, as you say with Pep. <laughs> and with Cole Palmer, you're so right. He's left the nest because it's like, listen, I respect this. Thank you. But I'm going off to university. I'm going off to see the world. Mm. And the question is, do you learn more? On the job. On the job. <laughs> Or, with the or on the apprenticeship. <laughs> yeah. That is the question here. Because Cole Palmer already, in his few games at Chelsea, has had to become the man. He's taken the penalties. He's picking up half spaces. I don't want to say it mad, but it re reminds me of when you had Hazard just walking around and just trying to make something happen because he's on a different wavelength to everyone else. Foden, at the moment, he's still in the system. He mm. hasn't broke free of it. But can you break free from the system? Not when, when it comes to Man City. It seems maybe not. <laughs> because that's the thing I would say about Cole Palmer, and there will be people... 
I suspect Arsenal fans screaming at this because the rise of Cole Palmer in terms of this conversation a month ago is this conversation happening? Probably not. Mm. But the deficiencies of Chelsea, like we did a video on the channel, I think a month and a half ago, saying if Chelsea want to score goals, this guy has to play because you had no one in those half spaces exactly. and no one who really naturally wants to go in those half spaces yeah. or are at their best in those half spaces. So when you talk about the keys, he's kind of been, he's picked up the keys, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But if Chelsea get to where you kind of want them to be, should he have the keys? I think he should. I think he should. But do you know what's the issue with this as well? He's that good. Yeah, he I'm is that really good. impressed, honestly. Like, yeah. I, and it takes me a while because I am quite tentative with, with Chelsea players and not getting so ahead of myself because I know that, first of all, the last 18 months have been so up and down and the young players, there's not really much to bank on in terms of expectations and consistency. But this guy has just come in and he's honestly been like, very one matter esque in terms of the way that he manipulates the ball, the way he sees the picture, he creates. He's he just seems to have this aura as well for us. Obviously, to a much lesser scale than what we were talking about earlier with Bellingham. But, but different as well. I think we spoke about this. Like it's more of a it's more of an arrogance. Yes, yeah. which is fine when you need to show composure, right? Yeah. I think he's a like he's happy to be the bad guy as well, which again I don't think is a problem. Um. But I know, I've been super impressed with him. He was great in the under-21s as well. But you're right, you know, come back to what you said there. That is fascinating, the kind of idea of, are you better off leaving the nest? Or he works awfully hard, hard off the ball as well. Yeah. I think the, the, the interesting thing is positional versatility in this conversation because Saka can only really envision him on the right now. I know he played left back and left wing, but now it's just like you're yeah, pegged in a right yeah, wing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Palmer's shown he can play 10, he can play right, he might even play left, he's played false nine. Foden's played on both flanks. Like, they could all... But actually fit in as one they could but this is where the issue is as well because ultimately to the point you made before you were saying about david silver and pep said he's our future silver foden's always chasing this ghost of what people want him to be for manchester city and because he's been learning learning we're still not sure what he's finalized your final form is cole palmer's in a situation where he's having to be the man at chelsea now because he might just have to be playing and playing what is he going to be coached to be so Saka may have an advantage there where it's like, listen, we've designated you here. You go and be the best winger you can be. Whereas these other two are sort of like learning, 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 but don't get to specialise and really own a position. Mm. That could play against them, especially with England where Bellingham will probably take the 10 role. Yeah. And then mm. someone else like a Jared Bowen that's floating around, Matt, you know, <laughs> I'm going to operate here. You still got Rashford as well. It's it's a really difficult one. It's a tough time for Foden actually in that sense. It's like, yeah. I think it's a really good Madison point. As well. Madison as well. And Madison's a good example because... Again, coming back to what you're saying there, it's like you need to be authentic as a, as a footballer. We look, we we watch Pep's teams and we marvel at the that positionalism that they have, but I that might lead to you having you know the flair kind of like sucked out of you a little bit. And I wonder if that is the case with Foden. I think you still got that zip and incredible technical ability, but you got to take that he sort of needs the handlebars taken off him a little bit. He needs to kind of go to a nightclub. I'm sure he's definitely gone to a nightclub, but like, he's like I'm, I'm stuck with your yeah, university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, he, he needs, has to go to Freshers Week. He yes. needs to go to Freshers Week yes. on his own. Yes. Not, like, not, <laughs> not with, with his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got Pep Guardiola. He's at Freshers Week yeah. with Pep Guardiola holding his hand and it's just not going to work for him. I don't know if you ever saw that video, this meme. Shout out to Specs Gonzalez. I don't know if you saw yeah. this video. It went viral. He basically went to a party that his daughters were at <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. said, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what are you doing? Like, is this, what, you think I can't get in? You think I can't be here? I'll, I'll be here with you every step of the way. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. That's basically Pep. Like, he just is controlling almost. Like, he's yeah, just, he's and, and on top. I think, well, look, with, with De Bruyne out, this sort of period of, this period of the season could have been Foden's. But he actually had allowed it to be really. It's more Alvarez's, Alvarez. right? Mm. And so he's kind of made his choice a little bit there. And so at some point, Foden. Well, I don't know how old Foden is now, like twenty-one, twenty-two. Like, oh, oh, someone will tell me. But he, maybe he needs to leave. Like he Ooh. won't. Of course he won't. Of course he won't. <laughs> Why would you? That would be stupid to do that. Don't listen to me, Phil. <laughs> do but, it. But yeah, that's like when um. But if he did, like, it, when's he going to become a man? Because Madison going. Was he 23, Kai? 23. So Madison leaving Leicester to go and be the guy and have that freedom, we're seeing so much you know, excitement from him and his stock has gone through the roof. Is Foden ever going to get that? I mean, again, not to bring back Bellingham into this, but Bellingham is a prime example. Bellingham didn't even go to uni. He looked at the landscape and thought, you know what, apprenticeships look like the right way to go. I want to go straight into the workforce and look at him now. Yeah. He's a well-paid job. He's abroad. You know, he's he's making the most of himself. Yeah, he's he's dispensing p- everything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He, he's the poster boy that university is not always the way. You can yep. find another way in life. Whereas, yeah, Foden, there's going to have to be a decision made. And so, you know what? The university route may work out for him. It may work out for him, but it's a long course. We don't know yet. Exactly, it's a long. It's course. weird, isn't it? Like, is he gonna? Is Foden gonna have an entire career? I never thought about this of just being there. Yeah, just being. Like, he's won everything. Fine, but like being the De Bruyne, being yeah. the Salah, is he gonna be? I think if you'd have said a few years ago, is Foden gonna be the guy for England and for Man City? You, you go, of yes. course. Yeah. But you're starting to wonder, like, because he hasn't, he hasn't been given the keys yet. Yeah. And I, I feel I feel like in a pep team you have to grab those keys. He won't give them to you <laughs> because keys. if you're if you're not like <laughs> messy, if you're not like some sort of freakish footballer, then you will just be surrounded by great players and just yeah. get clouded out, like crowded out. So yeah. he has to do above and beyond in a pep team because of the rotation. No one can pick an FPL team with Pep because you just never know who's going to play. So if you're going to do that with Pep, you've got to do even more than mm. what's, what the others are doing. You know? First world problems, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just for the travel. Uh, here's another one. Stick with Man City this time. Rasmus Hoyland versus Josku Gvardiol. I like this one. It's oh, good, isn't it? So this was one right at the start. We talk about the uh, positions here. We've got a couple here. So first one, uh, Hoyland versus Guardiol. These two will likely be at their clubs long after both Pep and Ten Hag have been gone. Certainly Ten Hag. And with Hoyland 20 years old and Guardiol 21, and both having been bought for big money, it means that they'll be at their respective clubs for a few years. And as they mature and develop, it means that they will likely face each other twice a season for the next eight to ten years. They could be the personification of the Manchester Derby for the next decade. Same, same zone. I like mm. this one. Mm. Guardiola has been super, super impressive. Like, it feels like people going, oh, you're kind of just popping him over to the left-hand side because, you know, Diaz is there and Stones is there. But for him to have the attributes to go there and go straight in there and like for him to be chosen ahead of an Ake or an Akanji speaks volumes for me. Like, yeah. he is... He is something. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how Pep evolves and how he evolves within that. And at what point does someone get moved on out of those? Because Diaz, you wouldn't imagine, would move on. John Stones is at his peak right now. Kanji looks great. Ake looks great. But yeah, I mean, he's obviously going to be there for some time. So the question marks more maybe on, on Hoyland. Do you see Hoyland being there for 10 years? I, I do. I think they've invested heavily on him. I think ultimately 
the, the term everyone's using is he's raw, but he's learning. Um, I think at Atalanta, the proof of concept you got was in the second half of the season. Once he's acclimatised, he can do well. But one thing I really like about this example is it shows you the importance of having mentors and people around you. Like, look at the whole centre-halves that Vardio has around him to learn, learn the ropes from. If Hoyland had, similar to what we mentioned before, another striker to be like, listen, why don't you do this move? Why don't you do that? Think about this. I think this would be even more interesting because he's learning he's downloading data right now is Benny McCarthy still there <laughs> yeah the striker <laughs> coach yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. you need someone on the pitch don't yeah, you and yeah. I think you need a Garlo back yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but ultimately he's in this position where if he takes a battle he's going to have to do this by himself He's literally currently, going to do this. Sure, currently yeah. he's going to have to do this by, by himself. But I think he's going to be there for a long run. You don't invest that much and then not you. He's going to, he has to be there for my, a long run. My only caveat is are Manchester United about to go through their Liverpool period? Or, I mean, they're already in it, right? Potentially 10 years with no title. Could it be another 20? That is going to massively impact on the way that this battle is looked upon if Man City win nine times out of 10. Mm. But I think for the actual game, like mm. the United derby, I think it's always going to be one of those close fixtures where you're looking at the young saviour of each team who can make something happen and these two will go head to head but again with City I don't want to call City boring but it's really hard to build narratives because it's all about the system it's really hard to pinpoint players and be like yeah this player this guy, yeah. because it's all about the system everyone's paying a part and to the point you mentioned there might be games where for some weird reason Pep goes you know what Cavadio don't want to play today playing Riku is centre half just doing something just something mad and it's yeah. like oh we, we get robbed of the battle but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Pep but it will, it will be interesting to see this team do battle for sure I think overall like with all of these I think the, one of the questions here is like whose reputation who becomes bitter out of mm. these two like whose rep- reputation gets a little hit I, I remember saying this last year about Darwin Nunez came same time Haaland came and like Maguire and Virgil van Dijk there was only one winner there and it just it, it made it uglier and uglier and harder and harder. I feel like Darwin Nunez and Haaland is a similar thing there a little bit and Darwin Nunez gets in all these great positions but he needs to learn how to finish but I just don't think he's ever going to have that kind of outrageous composure or they should have scored more goals this year. And mm. I don't know. I haven't given up on Nunez at all. But with Hoyland, I think six times, seven times out of ten, he's going to be a frustrated figure in that and that's going to kind of hurt his reputation a little bit. wanted to chuck a, a Chelsea one in here, although it could be an Arsenal or a Chelsea one. Evan Ferguson against Mickey van der Ven. If Arsenal don't win the league this season, it will create the biggest striker versus centre-back rivalry in years, but the same could go with Chelsea when it comes to maybe... maybe you could chuck Ivan Tony in there as well. But if Arsenal don't win the league, the main criticism thrown at them will be that they don't have that Haaland profile striker. Um, the same thing's kind of being chucked at Chelsea at the moment but whilst there aren't many around at the minute one that could be available is Evan Ferguson of Brighton and Brighton do have nice strong links for Chelsea we must they? be banned from doing business with <laughs> yeah, Brighton yeah, is it banned? <laughs> we cannot afford yeah. uh, with the direction Tottenham are going to they are likely to be challenges under Ange this was all written of course before last night where Van der Ven did his hamstring uh, it could also uh, hinge on whoever wins that battle um, Evan Ferguson do you fancy him? I like him a lot. Do you I, want him? Who's your? Who would be your first choice if it's not Victor Osman? I would opt for experience personally. <laughs> so you would go, and Victor. I would go with Ivan Tony, even though I am right, yep. worried about the period of time he's been out of football and how rusty he'll be, whether he needs like a fresh new preseason and whatnot. But I just think I do believe that age profiles are very important to match up. You know, when you look at. Foden to Silva, Aspilicueta to James, Tammy Abraham to Giroud. Like, there's so many examples of experience and then youth, and I think. 
that's where we're ill imbalanced, and I think that's where we, you know, we need to find. It would almost be position. unfair to bring Ferguson into the situation because mm. don't get me wrong, he's done well at Brighton, but it's a very different environment mm. and perception. And he has so much experience around him at Brighton; they've exactly. been very careful with him, haven't they? Exactly. Yeah. But um, to what you were saying, with um, with this in particular, the reason why this is so interesting to me is Evan Ferguson. If Alex Ferguson was still manager, would be at Manchester United. In my opinion, he is that prime yeah, yeah, yeah. striker that Alex Ferguson would go for. And instead of speaking about Holland in the last conversation, we'll be speaking about Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But that's not the case. These two, I reckon, they'll go. They'll go head to head for sure. And you have to remember that for Spurs, of course, we, the mention here is title. But their whole thing is we want to be in and amongst it again. Brighton in this situation where they're probably like. Peak. six years behind where Spurs was like mm. we want to be in that conversation as well Brighton will probably be looking and being like can we permanently be a European team and can we dream of not having to sell players and be a Champions League team can we upset the, the dynasty which is and these two battles will be key battles across the season yeah. mm. so you can definitely see it happening mm. 100% okay uh, we're going to take a break uh, this is the ripple effect uh, when we come back we'll be talking about rivalries of the past Okay, so this was all spawned from the idea of uh, Ronaldo versus Messi. Quick one on him winning Ballon d'Or number eight. Are we all right with it? Or are we sort of like, this is a disgrace, I'm fuming? You, you can tell you, I'm not bothered. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to be all right with it. You understand. It's a goodbye it. one, it's a right? Goodbye it's, one. A goodbye yeah, it's a goodbye one. It's a goodbye one. one. Okay, so Ronaldo versus Messi feels like it's that is over now. Um, so the ripple effect when it comes to these two. Without Messi, there is no Ronaldo and vice versa. For years, Ronaldo and Messi tore apart La Liga and the Champions League. They also went head-to-head several times for the Ballon d'Or, but would either player have ever reached the levels they reached if they weren't being pushed by their counterparts? Matisse, thoughts? It's tough to say with Messi because he's a freak of nature. And I think he doesn't seem to have any sort of awareness of reality. (laughs) (laughs) He just, he just, he just, just plays. Exists. He just, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, there is no. He doesn't seem to care about battles, and he he's just playing football, mm. and he's just that good. Where there is battles being brought into it, but some of the things he used to do and still does is just like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. The, the goal against Athletic Bilbao, I must have watched it like a hundred times. I still don't understand how he made it from A to B. Yeah. And and I could you know I could probably put you know twenty other examples out there. The re- the only thing I would have to slightly disagree with, I think ultimately, you don't get Ronaldo without Messi, but then when when Ronaldo comes to the table, it definitely ignites a fire in Messi. Mm. Do you think the longevity of Messi is because of Ronaldo? I think so. I think ultimately, when you're in this situation where this person has you know played in different leagues, comes over and just starts going absolutely crazy. Yeah. And you're there and you're heralded as, you know, the saviour, you know, you took the mantle from Ronaldinho. There's this thing where it's like, hold on, I'm not here to share any spotlight. Like my story was already written before you got here. How dare you come and disrupt it? And you have to remember what it meant for the institutions they played for as well. Mm. It was honestly, a with it. they were going head to head. 
They were going head to head, and what I admire is that they do have this admiration for each other. That listen, without you, I wouldn't push myself as long. But there's no dispute in that they definitely kept going. The thing is, like, (laughs) it's a bit like me and my wife. Where, (laughs) like, so when it comes to certain moments, my wife also she's brilliant that she can like she can internalize it. I can't do that. Uh, Like, it's 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 on its way out. Mm. Sounds weird. So is is your wife messy then? My wife is messy. And you're Ronaldo. With an eye. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's the goat. Is what I'm so trying. are you always trying to like get up? Well, it's, I think it's about being like reactive. The point I'm trying to make is that although you might not see Messi looking like he cares, that doesn't okay. mean that he doesn't care. Okay. Yeah. And that hold on, that thought of, uh, hang on. If you think like put yourself into the mindset, into the mind and the life and the body of Lionel Messi for a second. And you're right. First of all, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid. Second of all, hang on, that's my trophy over there. Thirdly, I've been the best player I can think of by a distance my entire life. So when some dude rocks up when you're 26 or whatever it was, you're not having that. <laughs> you're not having that, are mm. you? Like, like, you're just not. Mm. So I think, I think it's absolutely true. I think, I think you still have Messi. And one uh, possibly... I reckon you have less discussion about Lionel Messi, but I think, and it, it all it all sort of uh, sorted itself out in the end in terms of him winning the World Cup and the, the 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 you know the conversation was was finished. I remember being in Qatar at the time and saying, you know, does Messi? The question was put to me: Does Messi need to win the World Cup to be considered the greatest? Mm. And I had I said that he does need to win it for the conversation to be over. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it is yeah. right, but if you don't have Ronaldo, I think you have. I think he has less goals for but, sure. But do you know what's really funny now? Even in the moment where we've said it is over because he's won the World Cup, you have this moment where they've both kind of you know started doing their swan swan going into the distance, and still, his opposition will not go away. Scoring goals, trying to revive this league in the, in the Middle East is like, listen, I'm not letting you go out on your terms. You will challenge. Ronaldo is there saying, challenge me. Yeah. I he wants it. He it? wants it. Yeah. And I think ultimately, yeah, to your right, I think the goals, like there was the one year where the calendar year where Messi scored how many goals? 73, that I think. 73. That doesn't happen if he's not looking at Ronaldo and thinking, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, I've got to keep it. Because doing Messi, Messi was also like a team player. He was more yeah. happy to lay it off for others. So maybe he just became more of a creator and less. I think he gets goals, but less like goal centric. Yeah, if, if he doesn't have Ronaldo next to him. But these numbers are important, you know. That like you look at um, when it comes to basketball, like it, time and again, people will go past those numbers because it's something to kind of look at and will keep you moving forward. Right? I, I also think teammates played a massive part in this. So I think because they knew this rivalry was there. The teammates fed into it, and they were like, "We need to get you these numbers. Yeah, yeah. We need to get you. We'll get you that World Cup. We need like, to get you. Yeah. We need it was you all for, it was yeah. all for him. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. It? you could see that. Those players would tell you that. Hundred percent. And that's that's a great example because the World Cup. It was ev- all of them giving everything for Messi. If you look at Madrid, the amount of players that gave their careers for Ronaldo. For Ronaldo. Yeah. Benzema. Like, Benzema finally got his moment when Ronaldo was no longer there, yeah, and it's yeah. like so many. When you the main cast, the supporting cast is so important to these these debates. Yeah. Mm. The, in terms of goals, uh, Ronaldo's got 863 and Messi's got 821 assists, 361 assists for Messi, 246 for Ronaldo. And I hadn't seen this stat before, so I just thought it was worth reading it out because I'm a Messi fan. Uh, 105 <laughs> minutes per goal. 105 minutes per goal for Messi, 112 minutes for Ronaldo. 
maybe hurting his legacy, carrying on. I don't know. And <laughs> 73 minutes per goal contribution for Messi, 88 minutes per goal contribution for Ronaldo. I just want to split it has. <laughs> but Ronaldo's all right. <laughs> Messi's miles better. Uh, PK versus Ramos. Uh, oh, the Barca beautiful. versus Real Madrid rivalry won Spain the World Cup. Similar to Messi and Ronaldo's ripple, there's a case to be made that the competitiveness between uh, PK and Ramos meant that they would raise their game even further when they were playing for Spain due to their club rivalry. You've got Rio Ferdinand and John versus John Terry, which I don't... Yeah, I mean... They were kind of until it obviously went left. really left, severely yeah. left. Yeah. Um, I, I, they were kind of together. They were. It was okay. It, mm. it was odd though because they were kind of together, but we never saw it get to a moment where it was like, okay, when are they not together? Because ultimately, if you look at their stories, you know, West Ham, Chelsea right. coming through. John Terry obviously had the armband, but Rio could have probably looked at that and thought. That should probably be my yeah, armband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, um, ca- there was captains littered throughout that team. Exactly, yeah. there was. And I think ultimately, because we didn't see it play out for long enough, we wouldn't, we never actually got to see the whole... Um, and because ultimately they could play against you, alongside each other, we didn't get to see the Lampard-Gerard moment because you can see it working. Yeah. You can see it working. But mm. I feel like they could have been... They, they probably was rivalry there. It's like, listen, in the midst of it, United-Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea, it feels like there should have been more rivalry than there was. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, and the rivalry feels like it's actually... Not on the pitch. It was kind of Off afterwards yeah. and everything that's kind of, you know, spilled out afterwards. Yeah. Steven Gerrard versus Lampard. The Lampard versus Gerrard debate is what created Jude Bellingham. <laughs> With Lampard and Gerrard, there were areas of both games, um, of both of their games, sorry, that were better than each other's. And uh, it was used against each other when it came to the comparison. And what this has meant is that players these days will try to be perfect across the board in every aspect of the game. And it's creating an English generation of midfielders who can play in every single midfield position. Bellingham, Chukwameka, Gallagher, Curtis Jones, Jacob Ramsey, Angel Gomez, Charlie Patino. Also true for the women's team too. Katie Zellum, Kira Walsh, Georgie um, Stunaway. Generally excellent wherever you play them. Do you think there's any truth in that? And also, how do you feel about the Lampard uh, kind of Gerard debate? Uh, does it feel a bit like Trent and uh, Reese James in the fact that not? I mean, obviously, there's only one position in terms of that right back, but I felt like like that was that was just poor on Sven's part, like as mm, if yeah. as if you can't get these two in a team. Yeah, it, it was poor on Sven's part, but it did also birth this sort of generational argument that will constantly exist even when they became managers it was like who's gonna do better it will never 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 fade away and I think ultimately it's so interesting of this idea of it birthing Bellingham because yeah you look at Bellingham he is someone that can do everything mm. in this moment right now he's in his Lampard era mm. but you've seen the Gerard-esque stuff from him For at, sure. at Dortmund yeah. as well so, and yeah. Yeah, no, it is super interesting that you look at both of them and say, we never want this to happen at the elite level again. Just make sure you can do everything and then we'll pick the better one. I think the only Mm. thing that was unfortunate for Gerard is he just never... He had a couple of teams where they were clearly top teams, but he was going through so much mediocrity as well Mm. and having to drag Drag. the entire team with him. And I think if he had had the same quality around him that Lampard had, I think this rivalry would have been even more... Fiery. I mean, there were so many classic Chelsea versus Liverpool games. You look at semi-finals of Champions Leagues. Mm. You look at you know League Rafa Benitez, yeah, yeah League yeah. Cup final, Rafa Benitez versus Mourinho. So they had a lot. Yeah. They could add so much more. Like, the only it, thing I'll say is that is though is again similar to this whole Bellingham thing. Gerard thrived on being the hero. Mm. So if he had more people around him and it was more of a team, 
would that have taken away from his game? Because he is hearable personified. It has to be me. You think about the... <laughs> hearable, <laughs> like that. That's amazing. That's uh, good. Speaking of, yeah, centre midfielders, Roy Keane and uh, Vieira. Patrick Vieira, of course. Uh, Ripple here. Gary Neville is the real reason behind the Keane versus Vieira rivalry. The Keane and Vieira rivalry originates from an incident in the Highbury Tunnel. But what actually happened? Well, it turns out it was because Vieira was shouting abuse towards Gary Neville and Roy Keane perceived it as bullying. Roy Keane later turns around to confront Vieira and Vieira squirts his water bottle at Keane and all hell broke loose. That was that was a cracking rivalry. Yeah. And yet, well, oh, like, and th- th- what's interesting now is, you know, when we see the commentary of a Gary Neville or a Carragher and the Udogi uh, tackle, and these kind of tackles, they were everywhere. They were everywhere. I saw this clip of it was like the highlights of Man United versus Arsenal when Van, um, what's his name, uh, Antonio Reyes was oh. playing in the game, mm. and Phil Neville was playing centre midfield, and the tackles were naughty. They were so naughty, but they just kind of got on with it. And Vieira and Keane are so synonymous with that that era, the final era where you could really be that frightening and leave one on the opponent and get up and get on with it. Mm. They are so, so synonymous with each other. Pele versus Maradona. Uh, Pele versus Maradona is the reason Haaland won't win enough Ballon d'Ors. Pele versus Maradona was the original who's better. It could also be argued that these two are the reason that winning an international trophy holds so much weight in the Ballon d'Or rankings. This also means that whenever there's an international tournament, it's severely unlikely for someone like Erling Haaland to win a Ballon d'Or as we saw very recently, of course. Mm. It's true, isn't it? The inter- it's interesting to see over the next 10 years how important international football will continue to be because generally those players of the year... Because what might be fun now is that we might have a different one each year, yeah. whereas it ha- obviously has been the same guys for, for some time. And if you do f- sort of follow it back, it is often like, you know, who's won what? I think for me as well, it's like the weight of your country on your shoulders. We've seen it so many times of England, but you look what happened to Brazil at their own World Cup against Germany. That's when I was like, I mean, I always knew the value of international football, but in that moment where they lost to Germany in that way, you just realise the magnitude of how much the pressure really puts on. And you have to, and I say not every goal is equal, not every moment's equal as well. You have to give extra credit to taking the baton for your whole entire nation in those moments and actually standing up and delivering the goods like that is incredible yeah totally uh, let's finish off with some uh, quick fire ones from the the tweet i've put out because there's some funny ones here um we've got alfinger harland and roy Keane. we've Ooh. got uh, vardy and mares we've got ozil and kdb not sure i'm having that one nah um, I'm not that. that's probably the, the <laughs> wolfsburg sort of yeah Wolfs- wolfsburg right. schalke but i, I just feel like southgate and twitter <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> that is a good one salah and manchester united that's it <laughs> true uh, what else we got Dublin and Savage true <laughs> Crouch and Defoe it's I like that one, one. Yeah. Pippo and Zaghi and the offside flag <laughs> <laughs> Hazard and the ball boy that will follow him round <laughs> yeah. that'll be the st- yeah he'll be asked about that a lot Zidane and Matarazzi do you know what I would say I wouldn't say that but I would say Ma- if you think of Matarazzi you think of Zidane yeah. but you think of Zidane you don't think of Matarazzi exactly no. it's very half I'm, I'm surprised no one said Zizou and Ronaldinho yes Maybe. 
But do you know what? Yeah. Ronaldinho, again, he didn't really... It didn't phase him, but like they, were, that. they were the crown jewels <laughs> yeah. of their little institutions, yeah. weren't they? That's true, yeah. it's true. Uh, Bramble and Basong. <laughs> <laughs> Suarez and Norwich. Xavi and Iniesta. Oh, okay, we'll finish on this question. Me, me and Kai was asking about this. Oh, you've got a few, sorry, sorry. Uh, Gibbs, go on. Gibbs and Chamberlain. <laughs> Gibbs and Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here was my question. Uh, it was uh, Iniesta and Modric, okay? Would you rather have had Modric's career? Doesn't win a World Cup, but he wins the Ballon d'Or, Right? Or whatever it was, um, wins all those Champions Leagues, or would you have rather been Iniesta? Modric. You'd rather have Modric's From career? From a story perspective, you have to think about, you know, him being Longer born, career as well. Actually. Longer career. Him being born in a time, you know, coming through, you know, Croatia, which was not Croatia at the time, taking that country to a final, <laughs> taking that country to a final, even arriving at Madrid and, you know, being labelled like the worst signing ever. Yeah. And then turn it all around and winning the Ballon d'Or. There's just so much like, you know, when Fana sat down and was like, I can rest now. I think the feeling of that will be greater than Iniesta's. Like Iniesta, and as well with Iniesta, we have to be real. There's always, even though Modric won the Champions Leagues and everything with the likes of, you know, Casemiro's and whatnot. Chris, yeah. Iniesta's always going to be tied to Xavi and MSN and all that. Like, there's yeah. always more. Yeah. You're part, of, you're part of a bigger story. Whereas Modric, it's his story mm. for me. And that Spain team was really... I mean, it was just, it was the definition of a team. Yeah, like yeah. every single player in that Spain team played their part. He did get an assist though for, he did. you know, and, and obviously the, 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 the goal against He got the winner. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the thing. Like, so it's like, yeah. That, I think I'd trade a lot in for an extra time winner in the World Cup. Yeah, one, that, that does rank quite highly and he won everything. To be yeah. the first one to win the Ballon d'Or and end the streak. Mm, that yeah, was you but it didn't win an team achievements tournament. higher than individuals but you're, you're, yeah. you, you, are, you are I think I'd take Iniesta's career you reckon, yeah. reckon but look at that list people are going to be like oh my gosh what a time and you're always now you're part of that you're, no matter what happens you're part of that story I just I think the peak of football for me is scoring a winner in a World Cup final yeah, and possibly if you, you know if you want to act put the cherry on top it's in extra time yeah mm. I get it one played for Tottenham the other one scored against us at the bridge in the last minute Take a pick. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, who are a couple of, couple of partnerships uh, finish off? You, you said you had a couple? I had one for the future. Okay, yeah, love it. Go e for it. Endrick and Victor Roque. Okay, tell so me more. I thought going to put players in there. Well, nah, because uh, Real Madrid versus Barca, two young Brazilians yeah. coming in overseas and I just think there's a lot of expectation, there's a lot of comps and there's a lot of, ooh, what's yeah, this yeah, guy yeah. going to do? What's yeah. that guy going to do? And you talk about needing a new star for Barcelona. Potentially, Victor Roque could be that guy. And Endrick going into a Rodrigo and Vinicius, who are not in great form right now. Maybe they need an extra spark. That could be your Bellingham kind of solution to help him out. I'm, I think those two young Brazilians are going to be interesting. Mm. Okay, you heard it I had a random one as well. Because mm. obviously, when he goes back into PSG and whatnot, seeing the, the career progression of Doku versus Xavi and Simmons is going to be very, Ooh, very, very yeah. interesting. They're both young players that are cooking, you know, expect to do well for international teams and everything how they progress for Belgium and Netherlands is really going to be interesting to, to see. Nations that need. Exactly, that need resurrection. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see who can do it. Okay, guys, thank you so much for spending a few hours with me. Two ma amazing podcasts. Uh, Matisse, where can people find you? MAH, um, all platforms. Uh, YouTube mainly is where you should go for the content daily, trying to put out as much videos as possible. So yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Good really man. appreciate it. Mayor? Um, Maya Quadri and all the handles versus as a publisher you should follow and 
yeah, trying to put out loads of content as well. So, yeah, but thanks for having us, man. It's been good fun. Absolute pleasure. Thank you once again. Uh, Guys, thank you to you guys as well for listening and continuing to support the podcast. I see all the lovely messages. It means the utter world. We've got some really exciting uh, guests in the future as well. And we've got a crazy little idea for around Christmas time as well. So if you're not following, make sure you follow. Give us a five-star rating. We're trying to get ourselves to 5K on Spotify. And most importantly, Have a great day, evening, morning, or whatever you're doing right now. Cheers.